soda. If you awaken from this illusion, persistence of vision. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the North Door Theater Lounge. Hello, folks. I'm Lance Peter Myers. And welcome to another edition of Persistence of Vision podcast. That's right. Make some noise out there. <laughs> that's LB Neal. This is our... And, that, and, and that's, that's uh, for the very first time in POV publishing podcast history, we are recording in front of a live studio audience. We are delighted to be here. And we have none other than the great Neil Pollock. Never mind the Pollocks. He is here with us. He Woo. is prepared mentally, physically. He is an athlete, as you know, a, uh, a, a Jeopardy champion and a writer. A How many books have you published, Neil? I have published 10 books. 10 books. That's more than you have, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Uh, yes, that's my assumption. Uh, my name is L.B. Dio. This is my co-host, Lance Fever Myers. Hello, everyone. And, uh, you know, every time we get together to talk about some book, either with an author or with someone who has read a book, and, uh, and we wonder, how, how, how can anyone read a book, much less <laughs> write one? What are these books you're talking about? Yeah, what are these books? We see them in the store window, and we wonder. Tell us, Neil, what is a book? Yeah, I've been um, I've been having trouble reading myself lately. Not reading myself, but reading books <laughs> on my own. You're you know, not a book. No, I mean there. You know, I think I'm sure you've you've uh, gone over this before. There was a time when uh, you just lay around all day reading, and now lie around, Neil. Come on. <laughs> I would lay a little closer to I, the mic. You're lying. Uh, yeah, and um, you know, I I find it difficult now to focus for more than twenty or thirty pages before I find. A, a screen catches my attention. Yeah, there are screens everywhere. Nowadays. Everywhere. So, um, you know, so yeah, what is a book? That's a good question. Yes, thank you. Yeah. And w w but actually, <laughs> a lot of us are reading the books on the screens, right? Yeah, do you I, read books on screens? I, I have a Kindle, yeah. And I, I had a period where I was pretty much, when I was traveling a lot, exclusively reading books on screens because it was it, they're just lighter and easier to carry around and you can bring a bunch with you at, uh, yes. at the time. But, at the, but lately, I've been... Gone, I've gone back to reading actual books again. I do too. I prefer the page. I like the, tech, the tactile feeling of turning a page. It's hard to travel with you, two you or look three hundred books. <laughs> well, I, no, I, I don't know. I mean, liking the tactile feeling or the smell, I guess that's all, <laughs> that's all fun and good. But really what it comes down to is a book can't run out of batteries. Mm. Oh, I see. Right. Sure. Uh, but on the, on the flip side, you can't read a, 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 a paper book in the dark. That's also true. Yeah. So, so I, I, that's another thing. It's like you read in bed and you, if you are fortunate enough to share a bed with another person, that person usually makes you turn off the light <laughs> right. within, right. within 10 minutes. Yes. And you know, you don't have the energy to go into another room. There's a lot of problems <laughs> associated with reading is what I'm saying. There are problems. Yeah. Reading is a uh, reading we hear is very difficult. <laughs> and, uh, you interesting. Don't, you don't though. learn how to do it until you're sometimes until you're five years old. That's right. We uh, we are in terra incognita not only because we're we're performing and recording this live in front of a studio audience, but also because we have an author on our show, but he's not here to discuss his own book uh, or books since he's read published ten of them. <coughs> uh, 
<laughs> I can't help it. <laughs> he can't I, help I, it. I, I, I was seized by a mania. Yes, I'm sure you'd you'd go back and undo it if you could. Uh, but we, <laughs> and we, and we would like to at least mention some of your books. You wrote a book called Jubal, which is excellent. Yeah, that's a that's a novel set in the 1930s in the world of a. Uh, pr Jewish professional basketball. Sure, which is a real thing. It was a real thing, yeah. It was, yeah. And uh, and you wrote a book called Nevermind the Pollocks. Yeah, that was a sort of a, a grotesque satire of rock and roll and rock journalism. <laughs> yes, yes. What else? Tell us more. Uh, well, there was uh, a couple of memoirs. I wrote something called Alternidad, which yes. was about my... Uh, Early years as a as a hipster parent and living in Austin, Texas. Yeah, sort of a l light little satire of uh, cool parents. Very cool. All, all the parents we know here in Austin are super cool. Cool parents. Uh, uh, I wrote a book called Stretch, which is a little, little nonfiction memoir about my adventures in in yoga culture. Oh, uh, yeah. I, you know, I I about my uh, adventures as a, a training to be a yoga instructor. A I male yoga instructor. There are m many male yoga instructors, LB. Yeah, but I still, <laughs> I still choose to append the word male. Uh, well, in addition to these wonderful books that you've written, sir, you uh, would like to discuss, and we are prepared to discuss, a book called Night of the Gun. By yeah. David Carr, right? Yeah, David the, Carr. The, the Night of the Gun by David Carr. The Night of the, the, Night of the, the Gun, gun. Yeah. I beg your pardon. Yeah, and David Carr was a, um, well, he passed away a few years ago of cancer, and he was a... Uh, the New York Times uh, media critic, uh, and uh, and he wrote so about some other stuff for the New York Times as well. But he, you know, the Night of the Gun uh, is about his um, his years as a drug addict in Minneapolis when he was also a fairly uh, prominent newspaper and magazine reporter. And it's a very it's a very it's a harrowing story of he's just life on the on the drug fringe, um, and you know he. In the in the course of the book, he has these you know in twin infant daughters who he's taking care of. His the woman who he's raising them with is is even more uh, strung out than he is, and there's just it's full of harrowing stories. Um, so it's a book about um, addiction and recovery and relapse. All addiction memoirs are about you know addiction and recovery and relapse. The fall and and, and the redemption. Yeah, a lot of times, the quite, quite often. The redemption and then the sort of the non-redemption and then the re-redemption. Right. Uh, but I, um, you know, I and he did a he pulled off a neat trick in that book because, you know, when you're an addict, especially when you're addicted to the stuff that he was addicted to, like hard drugs, you know, your memory isn't always um, solid of, of the things you did. And so he went back and actually interviewed people. Right. Like a reporter would. Right. right. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, so the, it gives the book a little bit more depth and verisimilitude uh, than these kinds of books usually have. So, you know, it's a very strong book and it's a very honest book. I mean, he, he writes, you know, with brutal honesty about how he would beat up women. Mm -hmm. I'm like, and he was still, I don't know if that he would get away with that now in 2010 or whenever yeah. when the book, <laughs> no, I, I mean, not, not that he would get away with beating up women, but if he'd get away with writing about it and just admitting it and, well, then, and then everyone's saying, oh, you're great. Now you're a bestseller. You well, know, I just okay, don't know. Sure. I just don't know. You know well, it's but like I do think that that's one of the, the, the interesting parts of the book, but that, that he, well, actually, and to the point of the honesty part, and, and will you point out that he, uh, you know, his, his memory was failing because he was on the drugs, but I think one of the things that he delves into is that none of us are really very good at remembering parts of our lives because we rewrite them to be more favorable of ourselves. 
I thought that was one of the most interesting parts of the book. He's saying most of our memories are recrafted, whether we were drug addicts or not, to make us feel like we're maybe better than we have been. The heroes of our own stories. Right. Right. Although, to be fair, even when even with the reporting, he's still the hero of the story, <laughs> right? It's like he's still, you know, well, at the, at the, the end the of protagonist the protagonist anyway. He's the protagonist, and at the end of the day, he still wins. I mean, maybe he doesn't. He, yeah, he still got to be a be, you know, wrote a book and became a best-selling writer. So, um, you know, he, I, I I just found it um, the things he admitted to having done uh, were you know you don't you don't read about people surviving a lot of the stuff that right. he did much less admitting it but uh in for any you know and he goes on and to say how you know he wasn't proud of the things he did but of course you know who would be right yeah. so tell us the significance of the title well neither the there is a there is an incident in the book involving a gun and he went back and tried to like figure piece together what had happened by the way ladies and gentlemen this is the night of the tornado we are broadcasting to you from the north door in the middle of a, ter a terrible storm with a tornado warnings. Electricity and could go out warnings. any minute. <laughs> uh, well, it will be uh, effectively will be a miracle if this ever sees the light of day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, there was a survive. Well, because there was it was very hot here in Austin today, but it was, there was a cold front moving behind. I, I watched a lot of weather today because mm. I was getting we were, we were getting very nervous about this storm, and so. We just kind of got squeezed between these two weather fronts, and this is this is the apocalyptic result. If you're just tuning in, we're here with author and, and amateur meteorologist, meteorologist. <laughs> yeah, meteorologist. <laughs> Neil Pollock. First warning weather. <laughs> so we have uh, we were talking about the significance of the title, "The Night of the Gun." Uh, there was an incident with a gun, and he recounts it in this in the book. And he he's he's doing this interesting reporting technique. Yeah. of interviewing other people about stories, even though the stories themselves are about him, because he can't remember them. It's kind of, yeah, he go basically goes back to, to ask them if he was as big an, an asshole as he thinks he was. Mm -hmm. And the answer is usually yes, and more. Yes, and more. <laughs> yes. I mean, we're all, all, it seems like, you know, all suckers for a, a, you know, a redemption story, fall and then redeem yourself sort of story. And that, you know, a, a drug a, uh, addiction story s falls very neatly into that package. But um, so it's always, you know, really, I don't know, captivating to, to read about addicts and all the things that they go through and everything that, I mean, the dark side of, of all of that. Um, but I felt like the gun thing was interesting. Right off the bat, he talks about how he was remembering an incident where uh, a friend of his pulled a gun on him. And then later on, interviewing that friend, the friend says that it was David Carr who actually had the gun. Mm, yeah. yeah. It's like, you pulled the gun on <laughs> me, god damn it. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't seem like something you should forget. Right, right. But <laughs> well, that's what was intriguing. it's an detail to get backwards. Right, that and, and it sort of set the tone, I think, for the book, right? That's like, okay, there are plenty of things about my life I'm not going to remember right, and we're going to get to the bottom of this. Right. And... Yeah, and so he, he he sourced his own life basically. Yeah, yeah, which is brilliant for an, for a, for a reporter to do to go out and sort of break the story of his own life. Yeah, he had the uh, he had the um, the courage to do it, and he also had the the actual professional experience <laughs> right. to make it possible. Right, you know, he's like you know a you know a, a Pulitzer Prize. I don't I don't remember if he actually won a Pulitzer Prize or not, but he's a Pulitzer Prize caliber sure. newspaper reporter. So why this book? What is it? I well, mean, you could have picked any book. Why was this? Well, the you know, one? I'm um, I have addiction issues of my own, 
and uh, I am writing an addiction memoir right now. And so, you know, when I was approached to appear on your show, I was just this, 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 these are the kinds of books that I'm thinking about, mm. basically. Um, and I would say Night, Night of the Gun is the, uh, you know, right toward the, right at the top of the list of, of addiction memoirs. So, um, you know, it's just I'm not I do have some reporting experience myself, but I'm, I'm not uh, that's not really my method. I'm not going to play use the same trick. I see. Um, and wha- could you tell us some stories about your own addiction that are particularly you're particularly ashamed of? <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, I, I can. Uh, um, I, you know, I'm my particular uh, substance was marijuana. Uh, the book I'm working on is called Pothead, and uh, you know, I, marijuana is not considered to be, you know, high up there on the list of, of dangerous addictive substances. And it's true that people don't die of marijuana overdoses like they do of heroin overdoses. They don't. They don't have marijuana-induced heart attacks. You know, it doesn't. Right give you cirrhosis, et cetera, et cetera. But what it, but, but it, um, in my case, it led to, uh, you know, a couple of decades of, of, uh, kind of just irresponsible behavior and, uh, kind of random emotional outbursts. Mm. So I would, um, yeah, I would find myself not consistently, but occasionally like blowing up at people in public mm-hmm. when I was high, like really high, getting into fights in bars, um, yeah, it's an interesting thing you observe about heavy marijuana users is that they, we have an we have an impression of that as a as a drug that is uh, mellows mellow, you out. Yeah. Right. It's not a drug. It's it's considered a health food in our society. <laughs> right. It's considered you know it's considered a wellness cure. It's yeah, it's yeah, this wellness. awesome thing that you microdose and you just you you know I, toward the end there I was like I was just I was waking up in the morning and I was just I was puffing on my vape pen with a cup of coffee. You know, take a puff of vape. I'd blow it into the cup of coffee. I'd drink the coffee. I'd re- I'd suck the vape back in, and I that was just that was at that was at eight thir- eight thirty a.m. And then and you have you mm. know not and then you have to keep doing it every half an hour to keep it going. And then there'd be some bong hits mixed in, and then maybe a gummy bear. And you just kind of <laughs> it just kind of you just kind of go on and on. Yeah. And so um, you know, I I bottomed out in twenty seventeen. Uh, my mother passed away uh, very suddenly, and I um. I was present when it happened, um, almost coincidentally. And uh, wow. but right before she died, I had a, this buddy. I was in, it was in Arizona where where she lived. Um, I, I was at the hospital. I had a buddy bring me like a bag of of THC gummy bears, you know, because you can you have medical marijuana in Arizona. So I was stoned out of my mind, mm. you know, at my mother's deathbed. And then stoned out of my mind at her funeral and on and on, you know, and I, I wasn't able. And then and then I really started to spiral, you yes. know, um, and, and fell into uh, months and months of just like like very heavy drug use, uh, compulsive gambling, just d- doing a lot of things that I wasn't proud of. And uh, it ended. Well, I, I, I really bottomed out. And this is it's kind of odd at the World Series. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm a lifelong Los Angeles Dodgers fan. They were in the World Series against the Astros in 2017, and I, in sort of a, dr- almost in a drug haze, I cashed in some frequent flyer miles and flew to <laughs> L.A. and stayed. I have a sister who lives there, so I was staying with my sister, and I spent $900 on a fraudulent 
ticket, basically. And when I got to the stadium, wow. they scanned my ticket and told me it was no good. Oh, man. And oh. I was, I mean, I was already, like, baked out of my mind when I got to the stadium. And I just lost my, I just lost my shit. And I was, like, you know, cursing out the security guards and cursing out the security. I, I, got, I was escorted out in a phalanx, you know, from Dodger Stadium, like, right before the World Series. And it occurred to me that uh, if I w hadn't been a, a white guy, I probably would have gone to jail. Mm. I mean, not for any length of time. It's not like I touched anybody or anything, but I was, you know, or, or they would have. I had this vision of myself being held, handcuffed to a chair in the basement <laughs> of the stadium yes. while yeah. the World Series went on over me. You know, yeah, it's not what ended up happening, mind you. But yeah, so that was, you know, and then so. I wouldn't. I'd like to say like that was the last time I ever got stoned, but it's not like you know. I, I sobered up about three weeks later, uh, started going to twelve-step meetings, and you know, started and entered recovery after that. Interesting. Um, yeah. So you know, it was like a. You know, you can say that I didn't do any real damage, but you know, maybe I did. You know, who knows? Like, you know. I know I've published 10 books and I know I've had some professional success, but who knows where my career would have gone. Jeopardy champion. Yeah, I was, I was, yeah, <laughs> I even won three games of Jeopardy, not while I was stoned, but while I was a stoner, I was, I was sober when I actually did the taping. Um, but who knows where things could have gone and what I could have accomplished if I hadn't, you know, been so, because everything in my life revolved around drugs, right? Yes. Everybody I hung out with everything, every activity, everything involved drugs. I, I would say things like, well, it's, time for the amazing race i have to get stoned to watch it yeah and, and anyone who's ever watched the amazing race knows you don't, you don't have to be stoned <laughs> to watch the amazing race maybe it's not maybe I, i'm still watching it and i'm watching yeah. it sober yeah. and it's the same show <laughs> it's still a race it's still a race and i'm still <laughs> kind of enjoying it so I, you know but you know one of my all-time very favorite writers has touched on this very topic of of that you know, we tend to think of marijuana in a certain way, and how it's the the, the psychological effects, the, the 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 powerful effects that it can have on your your life, are sort of you know underappreciated. Uh, David Foster Wallace has written mm. many things about, you know, I mean, Infinite Jest touches on this very thing. Yeah. Um, you know, people who who sort of orchestrate their entire lives around these binges of of just you know they are, are like you know there who is it that is it Infinite Jest where he's um, is it yeah. Hal or which character is it that or Daddy buys all the, yeah He's specifically buys these and arranges like several day binges where he just holes up and just smokes pot and and then sort of scoffs at the idea of like why would anyone need to go to a rehab uh, for marijuana and yet that's yeah. exactly what needs to happen right yeah and, um, I mean I didn't go to rehab. Mm -hmm. I just kind of I didn't I won't, I won't say I did it on my own, but uh, you know I wasn't really in the in the market for going to rehab. But yeah, it's it 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 you know, and I feel like this mar marijuana addiction is going to become more and more of an issue in our culture as it right. increasingly sure. legalizes. Sure. You know, I mean maybe not here in Texas. I don't you know that we're still you know maybe seventy five to eighty years away from that <laughs> happening here. Um, but uh, you know, they just legalized it in Illinois. Right, it's going to start happening piecemeal in other places. You know, they're starting to decriminalize shrooms and peyote. Right. I mean, I never thought I'd see that in my lifetime. Three years ago, I would have been celebrating it. I would have been like road trip to Chicago to get high in Chicago legally. Mm -hmm. I got high, I got high illegally in Chicago for <laughs> m most of the nineties. Um, so because that's so, where I lived. So going back <laughs> to the. To the David Carr yeah. Night of the Gun, it, it, how does it change your perception as a reader 
to have had these comparable and yet in some ways quite different experiences? Well, I mean, I, I, I believe I read that book after I'd sobered up. Uh -huh. I started reading addiction memoirs. I always kind of avoided them. Yeah. I mean, I read, I read, you know, Mary Carr's books about alcoholism mm. and, and Permanent Midnight by Jerry Stahl. But for the most part, it wasn't a genre I was super interested in. But I, you know, after I decided, like, I figured, like, I was going to have to write something. So I was probably going to write an, an addiction memoir. Um, so I started you know, looking in it. You know, I mean, I was, so I was looking at it with, you know, with an eye toward narrative flow and, like, you know, and, 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 and voice and point of view and all that. And so, you know, um, you know, the Night of the Gun is pretty much the gold standard of the genre, I, I think. Why is that? Well, because Carr is just such a good, clear, honest writer. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's really the key to any writing, as far as I'm concerned, is, you know, honesty, especially nonfiction, first-person writing. Um, and that, and, and that's, what, that's what makes – that book is so visceral, you know, and it's so um, – just it, and you can just kind of – sense his pain and his shame and his guilt and also his his dark humor you know the scenes of living in a sober house yes. you know the people the, the weird characters he encounters there they're very funny you know it's and it's especially funny to see like a guy like him who i wouldn't say he came from a privileged background but he's no he wasn't exactly like a m person of the streets right you know and he was a professional journalist during this entire period and just hearing him describe himself become like this you know, bloated automaton. It's just, you know, it's just funny and honest. And so it's hard to it's hard to avoid the, the trap sometimes. I think that you no, one thing you notice with addicts is a lot of the time they are, are like former bullies, where they are confessing but they're boasting at the same time. Yeah, they're telling you about the wild stuff they get, they've been through and uh, the the. Uh, stuff they've endured and how in a way it gives them a there's a little bit of that in, in the book I yeah think. but it's it's he gets away with like i said like the stuff i mentioned before the, the way he like treated women i mean he talks about it but he still did it yeah and he still gets really at the end gets away with it you know he still ends up married he winds up with a family and fa with a family living in the suburbs working for the new york times um he even there's a relapse uh, in the book where he, he be basically becomes an alcoholic, like a suburban, you know, John's Cheever style alcoholic. Yes. Um, and uh, he somehow manages to uh, wiggle out of that. <laughs> but he owns that. I mean, I think that's yeah, how he, he that's does. how it, it, it that's becomes that. palatable is that he's he's not only owning up to having done it, but he, he, he says the very, th I mean, kind of basically what you just say is like, I can't believe that I've gone through it. Like, I, by all means, I should be, you know, crucified for the things that I've, I've, you know, done in my life. And yet, here I am, and I've, I've made it through to the other side. And why is that? And how is that? And I think that's part of, part of the investigative process that he's going through. Yeah, and I also just think he happened to, you know, he wrote this book, like I, like I said before, he's like in a sort of pre-Me Too environment, mm -hmm. right? So if you write a book, if you, if, if a guy. If I were to write a memoir now and be like, yeah, I was a drug addict and I beat up women, you know, there's no publisher on earth that would touch that Are book. you sure? <laughs> I'm not entirely sure. I think that's still something that people need and want to, to – I mean, and again, like there's – You could write a book with a, a, a novel with a character who does that. 
But no, <laughs> I, I I think that it would be I think that would be hard to sell. So you think if uh, Harvey Weinstein <laughs> were, <laughs> I mean, I mean, were who to publish a, a, try to publish if a Harvey book. Weinstein were able to write a book as honest <coughs> as you know David Carr's book, I think I think uh, people would <laughs> would read it. But I don't, and, and they probably you'd probably be able to sell it too. But uh, he he just would isn't intellectually capable. I think that's of a that. very important part of the Me Too movement, and I think. Um, uh, who is it? Uh, our, our comedian guy, um, Dave Chappelle, does mm. a really good job of, of investigating that in some of, some of his latest work. It's like we, the, the Me Too movement needs to be able to take this and and understand that there is there needs to be a redemption for for some of these people. Yeah. You, yeah. You know? Sure. I mean, he got his redemption and then some. You know, it was it's interesting too. It's like it's it's like it's all in the family too. Like his his um, daughter, Erin Lee Carr just published her own uh, mm. addiction memoir and her own journey into addiction was all was in a lot of ways stimulated by the trauma of her of David Carr's death so it's this endless cycle you know it's it's both a it's both a psychological inheritance and a kind of a chemical biological inheritance so I don't know. It's a pretty cheery topic. <laughs> um, there was there was another book that I I, I, I would mention too, and I, there, I I would alongside the Night of the Gun it was published a few years after. It's called um, it's called How to Murder Your Life. Mm. Uh, I don't know if you've heard of this one, but it's by this um, uh, basically like a New York fashion journalist named Cat Marnell, who is a uh, you know a, a gal about town during the Gawker era in New York, and it's basically like a book about how. She was a, a bulimic and a pillhead and a party girl, um, and her st her stories of addiction are are are, are simply insane, mm -hmm. you know. Of uh, and um, the interesting thing about that book, and it, the book is, I find, I think her voice is is really funny. Uh, I don't know how much of it is funny on purpose, <laughs> but but it, you know, I'm not the only person who feels this way. And uh, you know, her that book was interesting because in the end, and spoiler alert, she decides, well, I'm just going to keep doing drugs. <laughs> Uh. <laughs> she doesn't. Wow. She, she's like, she's like, I don't. Recovery's not for me. Interesting. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep, I'm just gonna keep popping pills and snarfing Twinkies and vomiting them up in the, into the toilet. Good lord. And working at fashion magazines, and you know, and she got paid a bundle to to admit that. Let me tell you. <laughs> I, I remember during the Clinton years, uh, there was an article. I think it was in Time magazine, but it was about the new phenomenon. Or I guess it was perceived as new, at least by the uh, author of using a full confession slash taking ownership of something as a way to, in a way, avoid taking ownership of it. Mm. Uh, it was referring hmm. specifically to the m moment when Janet Reno said that she took full responsibility for the Waco massacre and how, in at least as the person writing this article said, she's taking full responsibility, but she's not going to be punished or harmed in any way as a result and it really comes off as a kind of a, a way of shielding her boss and sort of putting the matter to bed like well what else do you want from me yeah. this matter is right. closed yeah. i've taken full responsibility well you know I g yes although i don't think that being a drug addict is the same as um hopefully not the same as committing uh the the <laughs> massacre of a religious sect. Well, <laughs> it depends, I guess. Yeah, I depends. mean, I suppose there are some drug addicts who have done stuff like that. You know. Well, I mean, drug addicts do do 
really terrible things. I mean, they didn't they can. burn down compounds necessarily. But I think the, the, the point, though, that you're making is, is an interesting one, that the idea of, of um, you know, just by simply saying I take ownership as a sort of false falsely taking ownership or, or that maybe as a way to sort of, you know, stage a diffusing of the issue. Yeah, or, it's, or, or you know, even if, you s if it's entirely sincere and even if the person is doing everything right, there's still other people in the ruins of the life that went up so far who might have a right to say, hey, uh, I don't care if that you're taking responsibility, right. you know, that doesn't, doesn't help me in the slightest. You know. Well, there's two, there, there's two separate things going on here. There's the work. Yes. And then there's the actual life, right? right? So it's like, yeah, you can, you know, yes, there's obviously something extremely self-promotional about publishing a book about your problems and expecting everyone to mm. feel empathetic mm -hmm. toward you. Um, but in your actual life, you still have to change the way you move through right. the world. You have to, as they say in 12-step land, make amends mm -hmm. to sure. the people you've harmed. You have to, you ha you have to basically like reinvent yourself. Right. Um, and that can't be faked, you know, and uh, the, if the people who still care about you when it's all over, when the dust clears, you know, if they don't see a change, then they're going to, you know, they're going to know, you know, you can say whatever you want in the pages of a book. You know, there's some there, those are two very, very different scenarios. Sure. Yes. What are some other addiction memoirs that you recommend? Well, I, I, there's Permanent Midnight by Jerry Stahl, which is, you know, at least 30 years old now, but that's an extremely... A funny and that was a movie also, right? Yeah, starring Ben Stiller, mm -hmm. um, which Jerry Stahl wrote, um, and uh, extremely funny and harrowing uh, account of being a basically a cocaine addicted TV writer in the eighties. Um, and cocaine at one, yeah, what's that? What the hell? Yeah, uh, but he was. I mean, you know, he he had some really really. He was he was he was more than a coke head. He was a stone chunky. Um, so what else? Um, you know, like I said, like there's uh, Mary Carr's uh, alcoholism memoirs are very good. Those Any are the relation to David Carr, Mary Carr? No, her, she's spelled different. Her, she oh. spells it K. Ma Mary Carr is actually from Groves. She's K from, K she's from K Where? Where? Really? And she, she also she's from Port Island. Was <laughs> dated uh, David Foster Wallace, so to tie that back to the. Uh, yeah, she's they, great. They, they had a they had a super healthy relationship. Yeah, that was the two of them. Yeah, a good good match. Um, so. Uh, yeah, I, you know, those are the ones that really kind of come to mind. Those are the ones that stand out to me um, in terms of uh, kind of literary quality and, and mm -hmm. entertainment value. I mean, there are lots and lots, of, you know, I, of, of others. Yes, and the, uh, you know, some of, some of the ones that I have heard of, I don't know if you've read, like, uh, The Basketball Diaries. Or yeah, that's that's a good yeah, yeah, The that's Basketball Diaries, yes, of yeah. course, yeah, that's a classic. And, uh, of course, The Lost Weekend, things like that. Well, The Lost Weekend is a novel. Yeah. Oh, it was a novel. Yeah, um, but obviously, like, in the last weekend is interesting because that was the kind of the first um, novel about alcoholism, mm -hmm. um, and and it was written around the t you know I believe in the I mean, it was a movie obviously uh, starring Ray Milan, but it, it was it was written in like the late '30s, you know, kind of just post prohibition, ending a prohibition, and it really you know changed the way people look at drinking. Yes. Well, the whole the whole uh, there was a whole transformation, right, in the in the uh, prohibition era and in the era of the Alcoholics Anonymous, the advent of that. Yeah, th and, and that started very close on the heels of the end of prohibition, um, and the Lost Weekend was just sort of a, you know, uh, brought this stuff to light. 
Um, the you know drug addiction memoirs have been a steady genre since I would say the. 70s, let's say. Mm-hmm. There's always that's a uh, fear and loathing Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> Not a me- no, yeah, but that's Hunter Thompson never, he never went into ever recovery. Yeah. You know, he just he just kind of just kept on. Made it seem really fun and really cool. Right, and that and um, you that know. must be one of the things about being addicted is that there you get all this positive reinforcement. There's so many people out there to tell you that the drug you're taking is great mm. and that the lifestyle you're living is fantastic and yeah i mean there were years there where i was i mean i was a fairly well-known writer right and i was traveling around the country and getting interviewed and people were bringing the pot to the interviews and they'd you know pack me some some brownies to take to with me to the next city and it was i was being Mm -hmm. aided and abetted and everyone was like oh this guy loves to get high he loves to talk about it isn't that amazing right and uh you know it it cost me uh, cost me a lot of friendships and cost me i don't know exactly what it cost me didn't cost me a lot of money because people kept giving it to me that's crazy crazy. yeah um and which was nice of them um (laughs) (laughs) well the one i did i usually said thank you the thing i always notice though is uh, you know we are you and i are friends on facebook right and you will periodically post something about marijuana addiction and and whether it how it's how it affected you or just in have some article has come out talking about the dangers of the new super powerful marijuana and stuff. And inevitably, the comments will all be from these people talking about how great it is to smoke pot and how they can't understand. They wish you would come back and smoke pot with them and, <laughs> and get high with them. And they and they just, and they really kind of like don't approve of the fact that you stopped. No, I mean, I would, I would not say those are the majority of the comments. The majority of people have been super supportive. But yeah, there's always a few people who are all usually guys who um, are are very defensive about their own use, you know, and they and they, they and they do say it's I, people say it's like there's nothing. I had one guy, you probably remember this comment, saying there's nothing wrong with driving down the street with the window open, smoking a joint. I'm like, I, I think there is actually something wrong mm-hmm. with that. <laughs> I think it's actually against the law. <laughs> it is against e- the law. Everywhere, even in Colorado, you know. <laughs> I mean, I'm lucky that I'm alive and that my family is alive. I mean, I drove high for decades. Consistently, not just once. I guess you can't drive high once for decades. <laughs> <laughs> well, I never got to be like really high. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I just keep driving and driving, man. Well, uh, Neil, this is this is tremendous, and uh, having heard about your personal experiences and about these addiction memoirs, I think we're ready to go into our lightning round. Mm. Uh, now, as an experienced trivia master, mm. you should probably be more than ready to handle these lightning questions. Oh, I am. But we shall see. Are you ready? Was your buzzer buzzer ready? Yes. Okay, fantastic. When was the first time you fell in love with a book? Well, that's a good question. (laughs) (laughs) I've been reading books since 1972 when I was two years old, so. Whoa. Two years old. Yeah, that's right. And look where it lo- and look where I am now. I wasn't even a, I wasn't even a marijuana addict. Ten books published. Ten. Books. That's when you need to start. Two years old. Two years old. Um, 
I there was the first time I fell in love. With, oh, there was a there was a, a one of those little Sesame Street books uh, mm. called the, the Monster at the End of. The I book. loved that one. Yeah, and and I, I that was that was my favorite. I think book. that would be my answer too. Now that you said. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, you ever was a great you, book. You're, you're going to people say, uh, okay, the portrait, say the of the title? Uh, portrait of the artist as a young man. I would read it over and over again. But no, it was <laughs> the monster at the end of this book because sure. it was because it was always it was always Grover. Oh, yeah, it was that's always Grover. Take that to the bank, folks. Yeah. Great that's answer. Money. Next question: Has a book ever changed your mind? Has a book ever changed my mind? About what? Any, about anything? That's, that's up to you, Neil. Yeah. yeah, come on, Neil. You can't just answer a question with a question. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I. Has a book ever changed my mind? Although um, you do have to phrase your answers in the form of <laughs> question. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I don't. I can't really think of an example. I read this. This this this, this uh, crazy book recently. I've been reading a lot of uh, American history, non like nonfiction American history books, because I'm always trying to like sharpen my trivia knowledge just mm. in case I ever get the call again. <laughs> you know, miraculously, maybe I wear a fake fake mustache or something they'll let me back on Jeopardy. But there was a book called A Renegade History of the United States, and there, and and I I I I, I found it and I, I read it, and this guy was actually arguing that. People in who were enslaved in the United States actually enjoyed it. Oh, oh my god! And I'm like, this is not right. <laughs> this is not correct. This is not. I mean, but it was trying to change my mind. It was trying to say it was that trying. It, trying to say, and, and it was trying to say that another thing that he said was was that um, that uh, the blackface performers, vaudeville blackface performers, were doing it because they were envious of black people. Mm. And I was like, this is this is like. Some alt right bullshit right here. So mm. no, so, no changing so in your mind. My, my, it did not. It did not change my mind. Well, I, we, you know, it, 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 you know, the thing is, like, you know, it's like the, those of us who live in sort of like this. Um, it's hard to change the mind of someone who's lived in like a liberal intellectual consensus for so long. I don't. <laughs> I, 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 the bubble just won't pop. Well, no is a perfectly acceptable yeah, answer. The bubble, the, the bubble won't pop. And it would have been quite a bit more brief and to the point. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know what you want from me. <laughs> has a book ever changed your life then? Mm. <laughs> has a I mean, I don't know. I read Breakfast of Champions by Kurt Vonnegut when I was 16 and sure. you know this picture of the asshole. I was like, <laughs> you, I'm like you can do that right. in a book? Right. Sure. I'm like this isn't boring. This the is picture of the asshole. Yeah, that was that was what did it for me. I love was it. that concise that enough for you? Changed his life. Oh, yeah, I love it. it. Right. Is that good? Okay, that's a length. That's an acceptable length. I has a book ever? Has a book ever made you cry? Then has a book ever made me cry? I mean, you know, yes, of course. Which book? I don't know. Charlotte's Web. That made. Oh, okay. That makes oh. you cry, right? I don't know. Monster uh, at the end of this book. Fucking, fucking Joy <laughs> Luck Club. I don't remember. I don't <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Um, what is a book that you have read more than once? Hmm. Uh, Ken Jennings Trivia Encyclopedia. Uh -huh. <laughs> you know, uh -huh. tri the World Almanac and Book Effect. Okay. Those are the books I tend to read. The the trivia, the books that were where you're just you're accumulating. Spoken like a true Jeopardy. Chain. Yeah, those yes, are the bo I, you know. I mean, I I don't really read books more than once. Okay. If I don't have to. Folks, if you want to publish ten books, <laughs> don't waste don't your time reading. Move on, keep moving, reading. keep don't, reading. Don't waste your time reading. Yeah. Well, here's the million <laughs> million dollar question: mm. Do you have any poetry committed to memory? Yeah, I mean, it's like this piece of doggerel from um, from grade school. Let's hear it. It's. I mean, it's it's it's. Bring it on. It's pretty bad. Okay. 
What the? <laughs> I know like random lines of poetry, but you want a full poem? Yeah. What? <laughs> if you got one. One, hell one yeah. bright day in the middle of the night, two dead boys got up to fight. Back to back, they faced each other, drew their swords, and shot each other. A dead policeman heard the noise and came and shot the two dead boys. If you don't believe this lie is true, ask the blind man. He saw it too. Very I nice. I have not heard that in that many, many right. years. And you know, it's funny. I remember that. Like, we had to memorize a poem in like I was fourth <laughs> grade or something, and half the class told that same, uh, did the same. Sure. Word. And that's why, why I remember why not? it. And yeah. I don't know if that's the one I, I memorized. That or was not. Emily Dickinson. Was it <laughs> no, it was. That was actually E. Cummings. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it was one of his earlier works. Beautiful. Well. This has been marvelous. Mm. Uh, Thank you so much, Neil. We coming. seem to have survived the worst of the storm. Yeah. The tornado did not carry off the building. There it was some water pouring down the eaves, though. Yes, it was It was really dramatic, folks. Yeah. I wish you could have been here because, uh, you know, we were, we were, our attention was divided between this charming conversation and the question of whether we were going to drown. But the, uh, the Neil Pollock won, of course. <laughs> as he often does, three-time Jeopardy champion, <laughs> published author, and uh, he beat the storm. Uh, we, he made it, we made it through the rain. He's a modern John Henry, and uh, <laughs> and Neil, we love you. Thank you for joining us Th today. Do you yeah. have any final words for our studio audience? Thank you, thank you guys for coming. <laughs> I don't know why you did, but I appreciate it. Is there it. anything you'd like to plug? Anything you want our listeners yes. out there to Well, you know, yeah, uh, yes. Um, I'm the editor-in-chief of uh, a website called, uh, it's a culture website where we run movie and TV and book criticism. It's called Book and Film Globe. So bookandfilmglobe.com. LB has written a couple of pieces for us. That's right. Bravo. That's right. And uh, I've written dozens and dozens of pieces for us uh, and we have lots of great contributors and uh, he reviewed Aquaman it's not yes I did review Aquaman <laughs> which was a movie that came out in theaters and therefore it was eligible for review. hell yes but uh, anyway yeah but I, I, I um, you know I've been the editor of that for about nine months now and I'm really enjoying it and you know I think we're doing good work so you know you all should check it out yes very excellent publication part of the the globe Sea of Reads Media, Reed's family media, yeah. of, of websites. Highly recommended. Beautiful. Uh, and uh, we'll be back next time uh, with more exciting literary context and discussion for you. But once again, thank you so much to our studio audience, to Lance Beaver Myers, my co-host, and of course, Woo! to our very special guest, whom we have to have on many more times, Neil Pollock. Bye-bye. <laughs>